Hello everyone and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. This episode features special guest Nina Gantz, director of Edmund. So we're back, sooner rather than later. This is Ben Mitchell. I'm joined by Steve Henderson, the weighted companion cube to my chel. Steve, hello. It's good to be back in the saddle again after a far less chasmic break, is it not? It certainly is good to be back in the saddle on a slimmer, more streamlined saddle as well. After the last podcast of us complaining about uh, reboots and rebrands, we've decided to reboot ourselves. Yes, it's all new CGI different character design. Your voice by Alexander Armstrong, I'm voiced by Kevin Eldon. And everyone I'm sure can agree, vast improvement <laughs> for the new generation. I'm surely even more cultured than before, appealing to the broader audience, hither and yon. That's right, and yon. There's not really much uh, uh, good news, as far as I can tell. A lot of people upset about Bob the Builder, which I'm not going to go down that path. Apparently, Sean the Sheep isn't doing too well in the States. Well, I think when you see box office receipts and imagine that that is any kind of marker of quality, yeah, that's that's the lowdown that you get from there. I, I, I don't want to go into that one myself, Ben. I'm a little bit annoyed. <laughs> I will not hear a word against the Hangover trilogy. <laughs> well. Now, what I quite enjoyed about that, and I do enjoy brutal honesty and what that gets in response. It's interesting, the... The defenders of Ardman and, and their motives, as well as the kind of argument that perhaps it's all a bit dated. And I kind of feel like, you know, it's one point of view, and then you get someone like, say, Mark Commode, who I wouldn't really say is out of touch, but I remember his assessment of Sean the Sheep being A, very astute, and B, kind of a, a good case for whether or not that matters. I kind of feel that there's a certain dated component to everything that Ardman does, and that's sort of the point, isn't it? Yeah. So my kind of view of the um, breakdowns of how Sean the Sheep is performing is perhaps more of a condemnation of the audience expectations. Because as you say, it's a low common denominator that needs to be appealed to. And I don't really know if Ardman can do that. Like, I don't know if Ardman can make a bad enough film. <laughs> Does that make sense? I agree with you there. I think that the, what, what Ardman offer is wildly, vastly different to what, um, you know, the other sort of mainstream cinema contenders offer. And, it's just not appreciated over there, you know. And and one of the main things in that article was, if you don't market a film, people won't go and see your film. You know, you hear about the multi-million dollars that are spent on marketing for Disney, and, and I'm sure the new Minions film, because you can't escape the Minions. Uh, you know, these things get marketed so people enjoy them and see them, go to see them. You know, and if Shaun the Sheep wasn't marketed in America then people aren't going to go see a film about a sheep that doesn't talk. Well, on the uh, on the other end, of course, of the uh, the movie spectrum, and kind of tying in, I suppose, with the whole reboot theme, is a notoriously uh, popular reboot of Herman's Head, <laughs> Disney Pixar's Inside Out. We kind of haven't done a whole bunch on Inside Out. We talked about it more sort of when it was in development, and now that it's sort of here, it's almost kind of a redundancy. Like the big sort of mainstream ones occasionally will do sort of interviews and, and coverage. But when it comes to sort of reviews and insight, I think they sort of speak for themselves a little more. Mm -hmm. Certainly, I know you weren't particularly enamored of the uh, the tie-in art of book. 
No. Which usually they don't go wrong on those, do they? They don't, no. But I, I think this one was, was kind of coasting the, the, the book itself. Now, if we talk about the film, the film is, is great. It is Pixar at what Pixar does best, which is high concept, um, executed in a, in a, in a you know, fun way, plenty of ideas, and you can see what, you know, what wonderful ideas, uh, original, unique ideas go into the film if you read these out of books. The, the problem is you can't rely on just the artwork. The, these art of books do require a kind of uh, some kind of joint narrative that runs throughout it of somebody telling the story of production. So when you see an image of, say, um, what the film could have looked like or a character that could have ended up in the film, it takes a little more than just a caption saying what this character actually is. You need somebody to say... Well, this is the reason why they went this down this route in production. This is the reason why they went down that route in production. So you can have a greater appreciation of the book and the film. And this book, unfortunately, there's no question. It is it's amazing if you like your Pixar art books and you know you love indulging in the artwork. But if you just love indulging in the artwork, then yeah, I recommend it. But if you want to find out more about the film, you may be a little bit disappointed. There's no, you know, there's no thread running through it which kind of binds the book together, and it just looks like a a, a portfolio of artwork, really. I do remember um, many, many moons ago, now uh, when John Creasvalusi was visiting Bristol for the Encounters Festival, and uh, uh, Chris Shepard, who we have a uh, recent Q and A with it's gone up on squiggly this week uh, if you want to have a look he's still producing his usual sort of brand of, of darkly comic animation chris shepherd is of course the director of films like dad's dead and who i am and what i want with david trigley um various others and we've had him on the podcast before and a few years ago he did a i guess a sort of panel discussion with john crease for lucy at encounters and was soliciting questions from the twitter audience anyone have anything they want me to ask john k uh, and I had heard from, I think maybe Bill Plimpton or someone who had wanted Amida Meadi to write a book for them that at the time Amida Meadi was busy writing a book about the art of Spumco, which for many years was John Kay's outlet for all his, you know, crazy Ren and Stimpy and beyond uh, uh, cartoons. So Amida was indisposed working on that book, so couldn't do this other art of book. But what had happened was there had been some conflict uh, with the publisher and that book, very sadly, will never be released, or certainly is not released at the moment. So in that kind of Twitter short-form way, I, I posed the question to Chris Shepard, oh, ask him about this book he got Amida Meadi to do, because um, apparently something happened, he didn't like it, and it's not coming out. To which Amida Meadi was very, very quick to uh, to set the record straight on that one. He ended up writing a whole <laughs> article linking back to my tweet but it was a very interesting article. He didn't actually ask on the night that question, so I was still kind of interested to find out what. But it does go into certainly the politics from from the writers and the creatives' perspectives of what goes into, you know, assembling a book like that. And I believe the conflict is outlined by Amida Midi was due to the actual designer of the book. And I'm sure if the designer of the book were asked what his experience was, you know, he'd have a case to make as well. I just think sometimes creatively it's just not a match made in heaven you know especially because designing a book is its own creative medium and if you are using it as an opportunity to flex your design muscles and that's at odds with the artistic sensibilities of the art that's going in the book then i could see a clash certainly from that 
Mm-hmm. I certainly don't want to assume that people are just kind of being lazy when so much work has gone into a film like Inside Out. That being said, what did you make of Pixar's latest film, Inside Out, Stephen? I, I really enjoyed it. It was nice to see Pixar back on form, as, as, it's, as it's often been described as. It didn't leave me with the same kind of... Um, I wasn't awed by it as much as I've been by previous Pixar efforts, but it was it was a you know miles better than uh, anything they've released in say the last four or five years. Miles better than Brave, better than Cars Two. You know, <laughs> there was a few things that it was you know classic Pixar. You know, the idea of um, buddying up. You know, the sadness and and joy. Uh, it's the old Buzz and Woody buddy movie, you know, formula that um, Pixar are so, uh, you know, used to. But uh, there were some there were some nice nice bits about it, and that's that, that's the real shame is is that you know when when looking at the film, there were parts that I wanted to know the reason why they went why they did this in the book, and the book just didn't you know produce the sort of information that I was after. What would be like an example? of like something the book really lacked was it like conceptual development was it yeah it it looks like it's just all thrown together there's no there's no like part that goes right here's the characters you know as they developed right here's you know the the look of the stand has it here's the early sketches here's the the sculpts they're all in the book but they're not necessarily in the right order you know there were parts of the film and i'm sure that the film the film is a clever film. There's no, you know, there's no get, there's no getting away from that. That there's, you know, a great deal of thought that goes into at least the puns and you know things like that. And it's just a shame to not see them, you know, explained. Because when you pick up an art of book, you're basically saying, "Tell me more about the film," you know, rather than show me some sketches that that went on to make the film. What I do uh, at the moment in my studies is is I take. Um, documents and images and, 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 and sketches and production material and I can translate them into actual events so I know, you know, you can tell when you pick up a ske- sketch what that sketch eventually uh, went on to inform in the finished uh, the finished piece, the finished film, the finished shot, you know, TV series, whatever. But I don't think you should have to do that in an out-of-book. You shouldn't have to be doing a PhD to be able to, you know, decipher what it is that's in front of you. You know, the, the, the book kind of said, you love Pixar, Pixar like draw. Here's some sketches. There you go. I enjoyed the film. What did you think of the film, Ben? Well, I, it was okay. I think that as as the years go by, there are steps sort of going further and further away from the um, the the movie magic enchantment that would be cultivated by its target demographic. That being, of course, you know, children and families. And I'm in that sort of limbo period between childhood and accidentally raising a family of my own so right now it's more about like okay what uh what do i get a from like the humor of it what do i get from the ingenuity of story uh what do i get from the voice performances and what do i get from the technical brilliance of it that can kind of impede perhaps my emotional investment so i do recall there was a a moment in the film where i guess it was like the sad moment right Mm -hmm. identifiable of course by um I'm going to make use of the uh, Zoom mic stereo capabilities here of when you're watching a film that's reached the sad moment and you start to hear like... (laughs) Just all around in stereo, just people blubbering like children. Of course, they were children, most of them, so the joke's kind of on me, but still, it wasn't really uh, hitting me in the uh, emotional center 
because it was like a close-up shot of like the main character, and I'm just staring at it, going, "Oh, that particle effects on a loop, clever." Yeah, yes, where yeah. it really helps the, uh, the <laughs> with the efficiency of uh, with the production pipeline. <laughs> also, what kept sort of distracting me is in every wide shot of the main character Joy, it's all I can think of is Marge Simpson. Yeah, and so when you can't see like the distinctive features, it just looks like Marge Simpson's doing something, like from some distance away. I don't know. I, that's sort of such a weirdly specific color scheme. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of felt that maybe that more could have been done as far as caring about the actual plight of the humans. Yeah. I certainly felt nothing for like the little girl, you know, having to acclimate to moving to a new city. I didn't really, it felt like there was a bit of a disconnect with her emotional state, which is sort of ironic because it's all about her emotional state. But you're only engaging with the emotions individually. You're not actually engaging with that culmination in her. There are like two scenes, I think, where they actually kind of did that. Mm. And the rest of it is all kind of like from that observer's perspective. And and then when it would work, it would usually work very well for like the comedy effect. So as kind of discussed, the, the scene that they presented at Annecy, which then pretty much became the trailer, um, is the parents and the daughter at dinner comparing how one character's emotions the father's emotions have kind of settled in adulthood compared to how the mothers have in adulthood Mm -hmm. and the the love i won't spoil anything specifically there's a lovely sequence right at the end involving like her bumping into like a boy her age yes yeah that was just brilliant that that i think got the only sort of belly laugh out of me yeah that way when it goes into kind of concept overload at the end maybe after that point they they maybe overdid it but not really because it's like it's the end, so... Yeah. yeah. But all of it, I have to say, it's a... The whole film, flawed as it may perceivably be, was a irrefutable masterpiece next to that shit That started... With the mountains. Yeah. The volcano love story. Yeah. F*** you. <laughs> what the shit was that? I'm sorry, but even like a bad Pixar film, isn't the short film usually good? Yeah. That was such trite, wilted, condescending... Oh, what what was that? Where did that come from? Maybe we think that Inside Out was good because lava was so terrible. Yeah, maybe they've kind of felt like, oh, we're not hitting the right beats. We need to, <laughs> we need to really put together a shitty short film so that by contrast... This will absolutely come together perfectly. I can't remember who it was I was reading uh, who said that it looked like um, that if if you were to do a caricature of a Pixar film, you know, but Pixar rose one step ahead, you know, the lowest stick and extra layer on that even a caricature wouldn't be able to imagine on their own. And this was just like a kind of, yeah, there was nothing special about it, was there? It felt very inconsistent. Like, the approach to the design of one volcano was completely at odds with the design approach to the, the girl volcano. Mm-hmm. Not to gender identify. You know about the Muppet mouth? You know what really bugged me? There was a wonderful series of animations by, I think it, I'm pretty sure it was Will Vinton Studios, in Return to Oz, where the, the evil villain is this mountain man, like literally sort of a man that's sort of made out of a mountain. And he has all these little minions... Not in the, you know, you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, his eyes are kind of these sort of gnomes that sort of appear on all the rocks dotted around the land of arts. And it's these sequences where basically it's like claymation 
rock faces talking and reporting back to him uh, and you know just really fun creepy weird stop motion that you would only get in like an 80s film and it's the central it's the binding thing of it's a face etched onto a rock and what fun you can have with that Mm -hmm. the volcano in this short film the lava film it looked like a ventriloquist dummy yeah the detail that went to the lip sync like it was like it was being puppeteered and uh, you know forgive me i wasn't particularly moved by you know the volcano's abilities to fart their way up to the surface of the water and be together (laughs) while singing some awful derivative vaguely offensive hawaiian ukulele ballad yeah you're talking about better ways that this idea has been put forward. Have you seen, um, is it Das Rad, The Road, the German film about the rocks? Yes, lovely film. Brilliant, isn't it? The way that they just sit on the, the, the sort of hillside and watch civilization happen. But it's done in sort of like, um, it's sped up, basically. So we're seeing the, ro- the rocks move at a sort of glacial pace. And uh, so the town is building up incredibly fast before our very eyes. And I thought that's what we were going to get with this film when I saw the concepts and, you know, everything else. But it was just a kind of, like you say, it was just a singing hill. Maybe we've been kind of spoiled. Even the ones that are kind of thin on the ground when it comes to concept, like night and day, or day and night, whatever that was. Mm -hmm. The way they executed that was like, it was just enough to be fun. And just enough to be interesting and kind of, you know, it wasn't the best short film they ever made. But when you consider how threadbare the concept of that was, mm-hmm. that they were able to kind of really put their heads together and think, okay, now how do we how do we come up with an idea that's really cool in its execution? As easy as it is to crap on Disney's Feast, the Boston Terrier film, at least that had a nice device with the editing yeah, that moved things along at a certain clip. And, you know, had a certain attention to detail to the actual acting and performance, whatever the kind of eventual result was. I do find that Disney films are always going to be slightly an easy target because they're always going to have that Disney sensibility to them. But there was something I thought clever enough about that film and certainly the consideration and care they put into the rendering to make it not seem kind of, you know, just like every other, you know, CG opening short film. Or to pander to the let's make another Paperman cry that everyone has been after since Paperman. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, that was my little, uh, that was my little volcanic eruption <laughs> about uh, lava. I'm assuming it's just a bump in the road. Usually what sort of tends to happen is I'll, I'll find something really kind of uh, uh, irritating and it will usually just be my own curmudgeonly outlook. And looking at this actually... It does seem that it's not uh, an unpopular opinion. Oh, yeah, you're not alone in your thoughts about the uh, the farting volcanoes. So going from the kind of underwhelming end of the uh, the animation spectrum, certainly as far as uh, short films are concerned, it's always a relief and a pleasure to be in the position, as we so frequently are, to uh, have some really, really interesting new, in this case, student film work in front of us. Arguably, student film has its place in the world of sort of auteur filmmaking. The National Film and Television School, generally speaking, is a little more on the independent end of that wedge. But I have to, I have to say, you know, as always, great crop of National Film and Television School films this year, with Nina Gantz's film, Edmund, being no exception, as I'm sure you agree. Absolutely. It's a, it's a wonderful piece of work. You can always rely on um, the NFTS to, well, particularly in the, the awards circuit, to keep the sort of the British head above water, you know, when it comes to short films, as always, um, you know, an NFTS film 
bothering the, the major Hollywood studios when it comes to short filmmaking. And Nina has, has enjoyed particular success at Annecy recently and at festivals uh, throughout the globe. It is screening and been enjoyed by audiences uh, around the world. And it's, it's easy to see why. It, it's a wonderful little film. It's unusual uh, in, in, in terms of its narrative, you know, what this story is actually about. Uh, and it's, it's put together in such a lovely way as well. Certainly. A lot of comparisons to O'Willy. Um, in terms of that fuzzy felt look. Yeah. But uh, within sort of seconds, you, you see that they are very, very disparate films, uh, tonally and uh, uh, in terms of approach to story. I think in some respects, I'm not going to besmirch O'Willy for a moment, and I, it's actually an unfair comparison to even make, but in the sense of preemptively addressing that inevitable comparison, um, it's worth sort of pointing out that there's a certain darkness to it that's unique to it, like, the darkness in you know, Willy was more kind of, I suppose, on the surreal side. Yeah. And this is certainly a, a, not a, a straight-ahead narrative, in fact, if it's anything but. But it's it's got a very clear direction, first of all. It doesn't kind of have that detour, perhaps, toward the end. It's more a series of detours that then makes for a very consistent, straight-ahead narrative. Mm-hmm. Very watchable, even though it's completely unconventional narratively. Yeah, the, the film does have a, a, a unique narr- you know, way of, of telling this story, of, of, of going backwards on, on the main character, Edmund's past. Apart from you know, the inevitable, like you say, comparison with, with O'Willy, he does have an extra, an extra layer, literally, with, uh, with 2D animation, or the faces, which uh, I think with it being a... a, a a slightly different story. I think it works really well because you know you need to convey the the emotions differently um, to the, the the work of the directors of O Willy. Certainly, there was a, a overriding impassiveness throughout O, o- Willy in terms of the facial acting. Mm-hmm. It really had to rely more on um, the, the settings and the kind of the way each scene was shot. You didn't really get a lot from the face of the main character, certainly. Hmm. Although, in a way, it was a it was a face that was sort of all purpose designed, so it could be bewildered in one shot and be sort of calm the next, and it's the exact same image. Yeah, there's a certain skill to that, I suppose. But Edmund, yeah, I think that it's uh, there was a lot more, I think, called for, perhaps. A lot more done with the felt as well. There's bits with with blood, uh, not to give away too much. I think it's in the trailer. And, um, you know, that could quite easily have been done with, with um, you know, the 2D overlay. But it's done with the felt. Mm. And you really feel it. And there's, there's, I think there's dribble as well with the, with the, with the felt. You know, it's, a, it's an impre- incredibly um, skilled piece of, of animation. Mm. You know, particularly in the, in the sort of um, the medium of using fuzzy felt, which has become quite popular. But, yeah, it's an absolute masterpiece in terms of, of fuzzy felt animation. And what a great thing to do in terms of when stop motion can really sort of shine to be able to create dribbling felt <laughs> like that's that sort of pez level of ingenuity yeah you know how pez could you know take uh, candy corn and make it fire and things like like to completely sort of change a material's properties because of the way it's animated you know i think that that kind of thing is 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 wonderful mm-hmm. you know speaking of of pez have you seen uh, lee hardcastle's pez spoof i would say <laughs> I've I've heard of it. I've not seen it. Yeah, uh, Lee Lee Hardcastle seems to be going after the world of animation with with both guns blazing at the moment. He's just released one called Yay Minions as well, and he spelt Minions slightly wrong, but it's just him destroying Minions, and it's a delight to watch. <laughs> 
Back onto Edmund. We caught up with Nina Gantz, the director of Edmund, at this year's Edinburgh International Film Festival, uh, where the film was in the running for McLaren Award. So uh, here's Nina Gantz talking Edmund. I'm Nina Gantz, and I made Edmund. Um, the film is about an art character who um, literally slips through the floorboards, like into his past, um, in order to understand himself better. That's kind of a brief synopsis uh, to not give away too much because he finds out where his deep urge is coming from. So, and uh, you will find that out when you see it. <laughs> yeah. Where, where did you, uh, before you came to the NFTS, where did you come from before? Were you an animator, a stop motion animator, or a 2D animator? Because so the elements Ed, in both. was my first stop motion film. So, um, but I went to art school, an art school in the Netherlands. I come from the Netherlands. Um, so I did a film all drawn, uh, coming from art school, um, and um, I did it all by myself. Um, yeah, with a little team, of course. Um, but I wanted to make something a bit, you know, bigger, and I wanted to use the team that you have at the NFTS to work with. So I wanted to do stop motion. Yeah. Excellent. Um, maybe you could tell us about the uh, the look of Edmund because you've used two D and stop motion wool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the look came together actually really natural because I, when I came to the NFTS, I um, brought this big puppet. It's quite an ugly puppet now, now I look at it, but I thought it was beautiful. Uh, it was made of wool. And I said, oh, I really want to make a film, you know, with, with this woolen character in. It's, it, of course, it's now much more detailed and nicer. But I knew I wanted to make a stop motion film at the NFTS. But because I come from a 2D background and I, I had the feeling that I, my skills were not strong enough to only pull it off with stop motion. I wanted to have um, all the expressions of you know what you can do with 2D drawn animation, which I would have missed if I wouldn't have done that because I was so used to having all the expressions. You can draw everything, you know. Um, and I wanted to combine basically two worlds, and I wanted to combine the best of two worlds. So the texture and the light of the stop motion, and then the you know, enormous performance that you can get in the drawn animation. So, and then combine it. Yeah. The film has a, has a very kind of natural feel. Edmund's house is in the woods. There's a very sort of lakeside scenes and there's a lot of, um, I think the use of wool gives it a very natural sort of feel. Is that yeah. something you were going for originally in the script or in the development? Yeah, well, because it's such a, such an absurd project, that's a, a, a kind of a subject. You know, the absurdity of what he goes through, I don't know how much to tell, but uh, um, it's quite, sometimes it's quite cruel. And to fit it, well, to kind of play it against, like, the woolen world. At some point there's blood in the film, for instance, and I use, like, woolen blood to come out. And the strange thing is, is that you make it kind of, it makes it softer, it makes it more, you know, understandable or more that you can actually look at it. Um, so I really like the two worlds and I think working with a woolen puppet, you know, the, I, I've seen a lot of plasticine and I've seen a lot of, and, and I always think that it's such a pity to create something that looks so much like human skin and then not really fitting, just a bit off, just a bit off and I wanted to just do something a bit more extreme maybe. Yeah. So you embrace the wool. Embrace the wool. Yeah. Embrace the wool, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just lovely texture. Yeah, like you said, with I, of course I saw Emily Swap's film, 
and and I, I loved it so much and how you know you can show the wind on it and it's really beautiful yeah Mm-hmm. Did you have any assistance from them, or was that? Were no, they, not, no, no. I, you know what? I, I really wanted to, to chat to her before, um, but um, it didn't come to it because I was so busy just making it. Because I had to make thirty-five puppets on my own, and like, that's the most puppets that have ever been in an NTS film, I think. Which is good. They should never. And no one should ever do it. It's not a good idea. But it's. Uh, I was just so busy with making it, and I saw a few because I went to McKinnon and Sanders. They kind of explained a bit how they were made, and it was such uh, more so much more difficult than I could have made it with my budget and with my skills. That um, I just chose to go my own way a bit. I think. <laughs> yeah. Does, so it, now, does it take as long to make a wool puppet as it would do to silicon, or? You know, I think you can make a lot of. You know, you can reproduce. Uh, a, like you can reproduce like um, silicon puppet you can't reproduce like my woolen puppets so um, in a way it's quicker in that way uh, silicon but I, I make them really quickly also because I don't have any facial and you know faces on them so I make them actually really quick I did it with needle felting that's why I'm doing that I did it with needle felting still in my arm <laughs> RSI for it. No, no, but it's, it's, it, it was really easy to do it. Only I had to make a few Edmunds, my main character's Edmund, so, and had to make a few of him in his life going smaller. And that was pretty difficult to make it exact the same proportions because I had to be like this big and this big. And, um, so that was quite difficult, but it, it is quicker, I think. But I have never made a silicon puppet, so. But I know Simon's film, of course. He did like with Man on Man. He did quite a different mold and stuff. And he was he was doing that for so long. He made yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, you've you won the Crystal last week. How was that? Um, so I didn't win the Crystal. No, sorry, the, the graduation film. Sorry. Yeah. So so the jury prize I won actually. Uh, I I actually didn't know at all the difference. I was just very happy. But uh, I did win a Crystal. But I think the Crystal is like the main prize. I don't know exactly. But I won the jury prize. It's really wonderful. Um, uh, and I never, I actually never thought I would get it because I actually got a prize that week already with uh, the kind of plus prize. And um, I was so honoured with that already, and it's the best price you can get as a filmmaker because you, they allow you to make, they give money to make a new film. So that's, I'm, you know, you can, you can't make a filmmaker more happy, you know. So I'm, I'm very grateful to that. Um, and then getting the jury prize is really cool, of course, and just uh, a bit unbelievable, I think, because yeah, hmm. you, you you make the film not for the prizes, and then when you get picked out of such a good bunch of people, you know, they're they're all, I think the student films were actually all really really great, you know, in the uh, in, in in I think it's often better than just the shorts in the competition, so. I was very pleased. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So, what's next? Well, new film, of mm. course. So, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a few people to make a new short, um, and I hope that's gonna. Well, that's gonna definitely happen. Um, but I would like to make some small things as well because after making like a big, you know, student film and not sleeping for very long and that kind of stuff, I would like to make something quite, you know, maybe not always. Like, I would like to do some commercial work. Um, just so you know, you don't, it doesn't have to all come from yourself in a way that you can direct it and have a bit of distance. And I think that could help, you know, the kind of the difference in like your own 
your own work and then some commercial work and um, also because I live in London and it's really expensive <laughs> so um, really great but really expensive um, so I'm, I'm looking for some commercial work and, and, and of course developing my own uh, short and then I'm now working on a documentary um, a live action documentary that needed animation in um, because uh, a woman is telling this delicate story um, and she doesn't want to be in camera uh, so to not have these awful reconstruction videos or like blacked out faces they wanted to have um, animation it's a good tool for anything animation, really, isn't it? It's really great. It's really, yeah. It's really, I, I really love it actually to work on a. I, I did a, a feature film before coming to school. Not my own feature film, but like a live action film that needed animation and drawn animation. And that was really lovely to do as well. Which film was that? It uh, was Devastated by Love by Ari Dilder, and it was in. It came out in the Netherlands. It went to a few festivals, and uh, it's a beautiful film. And it and it was so nice to kind of combine it with live action. And I think that's why I'm not afraid to combine the two mix, you know, the two techniques together because it's, it can work really well. It can sometimes also work as a kind of shock, I think, because when you sometimes just see animation just like put into it, it just it just hits you in the face. But it's really um, uh, it can work really nicely if you just really smoothly let it go in. I think, but. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for talking to us, Nina. That's great. Yeah. Brilliant. So, thanks to Nina Gantz. You can check out her work, including her previous film, Zaliga, at ninagantz.com. That's N I N A G A N T Z.com. Upcoming September screenings of Edmund include the Ottawa International Animation Festival in Canada and the Encounters Short Film Festival here in the UK. That's in Bristol. Speaking of festivals, don't forget the Manchester Animation Festival is still accepting submissions until August 15th, so if you're listening to this podcast right as it's released, you've got a couple days left to get your work in. So visit manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk for details. You can follow Steve Henderson on Twitter at Mr. Underscore S underscore Henderson. I'm at Ben L. Mitchell. You can also check out my site, ben Mitchell. .co.uk, but of course it's squiggly.com that you want to be for all the latest animation features, interviews, reviews, and podcasts just like this one. We're at squiggly, S-K-W-I-G-L-Y, on Twitter and facebook.com forward slash squigglymagazine. Until the next episode of the Squiggly Podcast, happy animating!